You know what? You're my greatest love of all. You know what? The greatest love. You know what? I will always love you. Hi, Jillian Pezzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. So look, we're on tour. The tour's officially started. We, uh-huh. I, we did our opening night at the Wilbur in Boston. It was amazing. It was amazing. Our next show was Charlotte on June 17th, but that sold out. Oh. But then after that, Denver, July 13th, there are still tickets left. Come and see us. The show is outrageous. And then we're going to Chicago like two days after, yeah, right? Yeah, you can find the rest of the dates. I'm not going to do okay, them great. all. You can find them all on truecrimeobsessed.com. Click on the CS Live link. I'm just saying, are you having fun? I'm having a grand old time. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we talking about today? All right. So it's a show called What Really Happened on Discovery Plus, and this episode is called The Final Days of Whitney Houston. This Oof. has been very highly requested. There's not really a documentary about what happened to her, the crime of yes, it all, yes. unfortunately. So this is the best we could do, but this is a case that people have been begging us to cover for like since the beginning. She was America's sweetheart, the girl next door, and our reigning pop princess. We called her Whitney, and she was known as The Voice. Whitney Houston's soaring fame and well-publicized demons were center stage for the entire world to see. Tonight, we explore how this amazing performer came to a heartbreaking end. Fans were always pulling for Whitney. And in early 2012, it looked like she was making a comeback. New man, new music, and a new movie. The film was a remake of Sparkle, and it marked a return to her roots, home to the church, back to the power and promise of gospel. So everyone thought that this Sparkle movie was going to be great and that it was going to be Whitney's comeback and finally, right, she could exhale. And then came the Grammys. It opens with just kind of like a synopsis. We're not wasting any time. We're diving no. right in. They just say it'd been, it'd been a long, tough road for Whitney Houston. I know. But in 2012, she was poised for a comeback. Quote, new man, new music, new movie. Sparkle. Sparkle. So it's a remake. I had to look it up. Irene Cara was in the original in 1976. Yeah. Fame. Sparkle. That was, she's from Fame, Don't right? Don't you dare. I love Fame. And I love what Irene Cara. What did Car- I say about Fame? <laughs> I literally said the word Fame. Like they say you know in what? the movie Strike and television show Fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fame. fame. I'm gonna live. But Jordan Sparks is in the remake with Whitney yeah. Houston? Yeah. Oh my God. You know, they give us a little bit about this Sparkle movie, right? Where it was a cult classic, especially in the African-American community. It's her return to her gospel roots. Right. Because we get a clip of Whitney talking about like how natural it is for her to sing gospel music. Yeah. Yes. We haven't said anything about her perfect voice yet. No. I feel like we should go into that. Like I know. she. I can't believe we're talking about this. I know. And that this is Whitney's story because her voice. I mean, you know, we get this throughout. Everyone talks about, like, where they were when they heard whatever Whitney yeah. Houston. I will never forget the first time I heard I Will Always Love You. I think it was a freshman in high like school. Like her version of it? Yes. And I saw the video on MTV or VH1 or beautiful. whatever. And I just remember being like, I didn't know it was a, a Dolly Parton song originally. Uh-huh. I just thought, like, Whitney was giving us another gift. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, I, I can see myself sitting in the chair watching the video I have, like, and the chills. chills. I know. Because she was so beautiful in it. She had she was wearing that suit and yes. she was sitting and she was leaning and she yes. just looked so in command and so in power. I remember seeing that I Want to Dance with Somebody video uh, and she was just so beautiful. I know. She she was so like fun and her hair was like oh, big and hair. up. Iconic. And she was so, she was like bopping around <laughs> and it was just, I was like, who's this? Like, what is this? Can I just say, my favorite TikTok fail video oh, God. now is they do that like you know that moment and I will always say where it goes 
boom. Yes. And uh, do I know that moment? <laughs> it's the moment. There's this one where there's like this little kid in one of those like it's it's like one of those like game rooms where it has one of those spinning things that knock you over, and it's like a three year old kid. A spinning thing that knocks it's you like, over. It's, it's like a it's like a game where like you have to like get out of the way of the thing. Okay. That, uh, whatever. Me, but whatever. And it <laughs> the thing swings around and it hits the kid. Boom! And the kid falls. And, fall, and that. That. <laughs> Yeah. Also, don't do that at karaoke because he can't. No. Just don't do it. Who in their right mind? Oh, well, they're never in their right mind. They're inebriated. It's some gay queen. Yeah. Two in the morning. There was one person I remember who did, when I was bartending at the karaoke bar, Queen started playing. And I was like, oh, God damn it. But he killed it. Oh, God. It's like every once in a blue moon, (laughs) someone comes in and you hear the start of a song and you're like, God damn it. Shots for everybody. And then it's like celebratory shots (laughs) because they know. Nail it. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about the Grammys. They were February 11th, 2012. We're starting at the end and we're going to go back. Yeah. And I I also want to say her friend Kirk, Whitney's friend Kirk, who was in the band. We'll get into him in a little bit. Uh, He's the famous saxophonist who's got the sax solo. Is that what you were waiting for? Yeah. (laughs) Because it just says Whitney's friend. I know. His lower third is her friend, which is true. Yes. But he was in the band. He, look him up. I know. He has been in so much stuff. But that famous sax solo, which is almost as famous as the bump, is (laughs) Kirk. But Kirk. Kirk is here to say, like, uh, this whole comeback talk, because everyone's like, oh, the comeback, the comeback, yes, the comeback. Yes, Not to be confused with the amazing show, the comeback. Well, and he's also the, yes, of course. And I don't want to say that. <laughs> um, but Kirk was like, I don't like this idea. Can't she just be, Because what's with the pressure? He also thinks that, like, it was too soon. That like She's not ready. She needed much more help than she got. She needed better people around her. There was... Uh, financial interest for the people around her and uh, they didn't want to rebel against her in fear that they might be cut out. You're the ATM for your inner circle. Everyone right. wants you to work. They don't want you to take care of yourself. So the thing about that is like she was surrounded by enablers and people who didn't have her best interest at heart. At the same time, you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Yeah. And then when you're that famous right. and we learned that she would just like fire people if there was any pushback at all. Like no one wanted to get off the money train. She was just so deep in her addiction. Right. And it's so fucking sad. And right. we learned the night of the Grammys. This is like the night she dies. And these are the Grammys in 2012. And we learn that like she's at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Several media people see her at the bar getting hammered. They use the word hammered. I just gotta say if you're a bartender and Whitney Houston shows up at the bar, every time a manager yells at you or some guest is a dick, this is the moment that God is repaying you. Right. Whitney Houston is at the bar getting drunk. What a dream. And then, but also that's the thing about being as famous as Whitney Houston is, which is like five other people were that famous at the time. Exactly. But like you don't say no. To her at the bar. You could never. She would get you fired. Oh and I'm not saying God. that in a bad, yeah. but like when yes. someone is that rich and powerful and also suffering the way she was. I'll tell you, like I was a bartender for like 15 years. That's a really hard needle to thread. It is. Because I, at least in New York. And you're talking about cutting people off or yes, not serving them. cutting yeah. people out. The, yeah. the, in New York, the law, as I was always told, is that they don't sue the restaurant. They sue the bartender that overserved them. Yes. So that's a, that was always a really scary thing for me. Huge. Like cutting people out. It's really hard. But we all. Also learned- Whitney was erratic in the hotel, to say the least. She was found hanging out. Uh, several media people spotted her at the bar getting hammered. Houston was seen skipping around a ballroom 
and doing handstands near the hotel pool. Doing handstands near the pool? Right. She's 46 years old and doing handstands. You go, girl. Right? But just be careful because you I can know. slip and fall. I know. No running near the pool, tall, everybody. I know, you know I'm not a mother, but please don't run near the pool. <laughs> or do it's, handstands. It's very dangerous. Maybe she was doing the handstands in the grass near the pool. Yeah. Let's hope for that. However, handstands in the pool, great. <laughs> oh, and everyone right. watch the person doing the handstand in the pool because yes. you know you come up. Hey, Mom, were you watching? I know. Hey, Patrick, <laughs> were you watching? If I'm doing a handstand in the pool, I want everyone watching because it might be perfect. You know what? And I want everyone to see it. And also, if I ask you to play mermaids with me, just say yes. <laughs> we're playing mermaids. <laughs> what is mermaids? Is that Marco Polo? No, you just like play mermaids in the pool. Oh, you know who would love to do that? Daisy. You? Daisy. Daisy would love that. It's the easiest game in the world. You just play mermaids. Yeah, it's okay, great. so super fun. But if someone asks you, you say yes. We also learned that night she goes into the gift shop and sees a tabloid that has an article about her and goes ballistic. Which, I can't blame her. Who's the fucking asshole? Like, when Whitney Houston checks in, don't you go into the gift shop and take out all the national inquirers with the lesbian headlines? Don't you take them out? I guess not. Like, what an idiot. I... I'm well, not, what are we supposed I, to do? This is the world. I know, and I, know. I don't, you know, I don't agree with the National Enquirer. I'm not in the business of defending them, but like, what are we supposed to do what here? What do you do when you're the gift shop employee and you see fucking Whitney Houston walk in? I don't know. You got one eye on the Houston at the door. You got one eye on the Enquirer and like, what are you going to do? You stand there and you freeze, you, and you freeze. And you hope that you fade into the background and no one notices you. You hope for invisibility. You pray. Just you know don't what? let her see me. You don't I know, move. I know. Don't I know. Breathe. I know. It's like that moment in Jurassic Park. Just, yeah. Just everyone uh, stay still. You write the sign on the napkin that says "back in five. Barely. You don't even I, move. I know. But then we hear the nine one one call, and they don't even know the person making the call doesn't even know it's Whitney Houston. No, and like the paramedics get to her room immediately, and Whitney wasn't breathing. And she dies that night. Yeah. And we learn, you know, fans around the world obviously are devastated. And Dr. Drew says, like, still to this day, like, we don't know exactly for sure the cause of death, but we do know that drugs were involved. And we'll get more on that later when we get the autopsy. But, like, he says... The singer was found face down and was underwater for as long as an hour. The most surprising new information was this. The water in the hotel bathtub where Houston drowned was very, very hot. I'm talking in excess of 93 degrees. When they found her, yes. the water was 93.5 degrees and she was there for an hour. Yeah. Like, oh my God. And they say like the temperature of the water is very suspicious. Yeah. So now they're like, is there foul play involved? She also had abrasions on her forehead, abrasions on her face, and she was completely alone. So I don't yeah. even know how someone knew to call. Maybe like room service showed up or something uh-huh. or someone just let themselves into her room. Oh, God. But she was completely alone. It's so fucking sad. There's a vigil outside the hotel. People who should not be singing are singing a medley of her songs. <sighs> and they're just kind of singing it for the camera. Like, it's L.A. It feel, That part felt very gross to well, me. Well, okay, so it led to a lot of conspiracy theories right away. But do you remember Jane Mitchell, this this host? Oh, yes, Jane Velez Mitchell, of course. She was in the HLM. Casey Anthony yes. thing that we covered. I'm sorry, the Kaylee Anthony thing that we covered. And she's like, I was right there, so I just hopped on down the 405 <laughs> and just was there. To be the first on the scene. I know. And she, she's just walking Hopped around. on the 405. I know. I do love Jane Velez Mitchell. Yeah. She seems like a bot. Like, she seems like she's in charge. If I'm at a cocktail party and it's her and Diane Diamond, I'm I'm sitting with Jane. Jane wins every goddamn time. Sorry. 
sorry, Diane. But it was just, I'm not Although, sorry. You know Diane's got the real expensive Chardonnay. Like, that's the one thing I feel like we can count on Diane she for. She can keep it. Totally. She can have every last drop. Every Q&A I do anywhere, people are like, what is your feud with Diane Diamond? You explain it almost every time. It's out there. Like, we're not hiding it. I know, I know. You guys got, like, a DM fight about politics. We it's got, very simple. It's true. She was like, I'm very disappointed in you. Like, she, she said, came to she, she literally came for you. She tweeted me and said, have me on your cast. Your apostrophe cast. I know. I know. But like, cut the shit, Diane. I used to love you, Diane. Cut the shit. Anyway. It was a very, very emotional scene. Everyone is there. Fans are there to mourn her and celebrate her. Lots of candles. And now we're talking about the power of her voice in so many, just like how she sings. Like her voice is literally and figuratively powerful. But also the ubiquitousness, I think that's the word, of her voice. You literally, like one Rolling Stones reporter says he didn't like her music, so he would turn the channel and it would just be a different song on another station. You couldn't turn on any radio station and get away from it. And at a certain point, for me, it was, I want to dance with somebody. You just say, like, I give up. This is pretty great. I couldn't beat her, so I joined her. Yeah, he was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah, guy. How are you going to not love... I want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the heat with somebody. <laughs> yeah, I want to dance with somebody. She's just like so beautifully happy in that video and yes. that music video specifically. She's just having the time of her life. Yeah, and somebody says like in the beginning of her story, like her music and her image were immaculate. That right. like, her, you know, it was a lot of luxury and it was like the sound of her music and you would see her like in white furs right. and like glimmering diamonds or whatever. Yeah, they had that very like soft filter on her. Her. Not like she needed a filter, but every it looked very like glamour shot y. Yeah. You know, that very even that the video for I Will Always Love You had that little softness to it. You know, and the thing is they get into it a little bit, but like for a black woman to be in that time elevated to this, of course. Just like the absolute most gorgeous, most celebrated, most like beloved yeah. person. It was rare. Yeah, you she, know? she was so loved and so successful. She is in like the one name category. Yes. You say Whitney, everyone knows who of you mean. Course. And that's huge. I know. Like, it, not a lot of people could do that. Also, just objectively, what a great fucking name. Whitney. Whitney. God. You really, it's, you say it like with uh-huh. gusto. You I know mean a it. guy named Whitney. Okay. That's a good name for a guy, too. Is he great? I don't know him that well. Oh, okay. <laughs> we once had a Ooh. thing over a boy, but he's, but Whitney seems very oh. nice. <laughs> How interesting. So now we get the Whitney Houston story. She yeah. grew up in New Jersey, and she came from one hell of a showbiz family. This is unreal. I think out of anyone, Whitney Houston definitely has a pedigree. You look at her mother, Sissy. You look at her cousin, Dionne Warwick, both classic, iconic voices. They don't really get into who Sissy Houston is, except that she's a legend. Yeah. She's like a legendary backup singer. But an American, like, soul and gospel singer. And, and, like, everybody's favorite person to work with in the business. Like, she's known and respected, and everyone... She was never, like, famous, but she went to all the parties. Yeah, like, she was singing backup for Elvis and yes. Aretha Franklin. Yes. Elvis and Aretha, two first-name basis people. 100%. But her cousin <laughs> is Dionne fucking Warwick. Such hits as... Oh, my Do God. You know no, no. Do you know who is the biggest, biggest Dionne Warwick fan? You? Stephen Lee Tipton. Great. He loves Dionne Warwick 
so much. We just were on a car trip going to Cape Cod for my book party thing. Yeah. We listened to Dionne Warwick like most of the way. Did you listen to That's What Friends Are For? Uh, well, no, I can't listen to that because it's so sad. Did you listen to Don't Make Me Over? Of course. Did you listen to Say a Little Prayer? <laughs> say a little prayer for you. And also, and ever, you'll stay in my heart and I will love you forever. Forever and ever. And ever. We never will part and I will always be heartbreak for you. <laughs> um, it's my best friend's wedding, everybody. It's oh. that scene of my best friend's wedding where they're all singing it. Also, my car anytime Steve Tipton is in it. Sure. It's great. Also, the fucking Psychic Friends Network. Oh, my God. She, I forgot about she that. She was the host of yes. the Psychic Friends Network. And when I was looking up, I was like, that's her, right? The Psychic Friends yes. Network? Yes. Yeah, like the Psychic Friends right. Network. And it came up, because for some reason, every time you Google someone, it's just like, what's their net worth? Which is, uh-huh. it's always a lie. Uh-huh. Like, I promise you, it's always fake. But apparently, according to the internet that I just said was fake, she made like $3 million a year hosting the Psychic Friends Network. My favorite thing about the, the Psychic Friends Network was that line in where Winona Ryder's like calling over and over and over again and then like you mean Reality Bites? Reality Bites what did I say? Singles oh, which, like, which to be fair Reality Bites and I then reality bites. she says something and Janine Groff goes who told you that? Your psychic friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god <laughs> that's the best it's so good I fucking love that movie but she grew up in church singing in church that's where her mother grew up singing so when she was 11 she got up and uh, sang a solo just a little talk with Jesus and uh People were just in awe. It almost seems predestined that Whitney Houston is to go into the music business, to become a singer, and to become a star. They were totally in awe of her. By the time she's 21, she's performing in clubs in New York City, which is massive. She was performing in the Sweetwater Club, which I'd never heard of. I had to look it up. It was a 68th in Amsterdam. Yeah. I get so annoyed when I look up a club like that that's no longer there, and they only have pictures of people there, but there's no picture of the club or the interior. I couldn't find any good picture of what it looked like. But this is where, like, apparently pre-star people would go sing there, and, like, Clive Davis would hang out looking for talent. Look, Clive Davis is a music industry behemoth. He's yes. made he signed so many people. He's also bi. He like recently came out as bisexual. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Clive like what? Like the Clive Davis. He's bi? Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing. I know. That and he came out? Yeah. We look. No, I are, just outed Clive Davis. <laughs> I, know. I am all about bi visibility. We need more of it. Yeah. Somebody got on me the, like in one of the comments, somebody got mad at me for forgetting that you're bisexual. I never forget that you're bisexual. What'd you say or not say? I don't know. I, I, I made some joke about being like, oh, I forgot that you're bi. I never like actually oh. forget it. Anyway, the point is. I'm not mad at you. It's okay. This person can be mad at me if they want. We need more bi visibility. And if Clive Davis came out, then that's incredible. Yeah, he's an incredible. Look him up. He's another one you should look up. He's a, any famous person that you know is famous probably because of Clive Davis. Yes. In some way. In and some like. We'll get to this towards the end, but like she becomes more famous than him eventually and he can't help her. And yeah. that's crazy. It's crazy. So Whitney makes her TV debut on the Merv Griffin show. Merv Griffin was the most influential person in television back in the day with his talk show. He was like uh, the Oprah Winfrey. And when young Whitney went on his show and sang the song Home, it just made waves. Can 
I just get a little serious for one second? Of course you can. I was trying to understand what bothered me about that he was the Oprah of his time. It was so much harder for her to become Oprah than it was for him to become Merv Griffin. He's a white guy, everybody. Like a heavy black woman becoming the fucking, like, legendary legend of all time. Another one-namer? I know. But, like, to call him the Oprah of his time, it's not the same thing. Like, I get it. Like, they both had big audiences and they were both successful in television. What she did was so much harder than what he did. So much harder. So much harder. I couldn't put my thumb on why that comparison made yeah. me bad, but now I got it. Oh, I'm so now glad you I got know. there. Yeah. Now Fuck I'm... that. Stop saying that. Now I'm mad. Okay, good. Thanks. Good. And that, well, at least now we're mad at the same time. Okay, thing. great. Um, yeah, so Whitney goes on the Merv Griffin show and she explodes. It's a game changer. I mean, like, this is a time when there's four channels. Yeah. This was like, it, was, it wasn't unusual for TV shows to get like 40 million viewers or whatever. Right. And so her debut self-titled album is a smash hit. It sells millions of copies. It wins a Grammy. They talk about the cover. The cover is so iconic. It's her yeah. in that white dress with the slicked back hair. And it's like Whitney Houston. I mean, it is, I, oh, I'm getting chills. I know. It's like, I know. it's iconic. I know. So much about her was. And she just like, this is where one of the talking heads says like, she was this beautiful black woman looking so glamorous. Yeah. And it's like, it's so unusual and wonderful. Right. You know? Yeah. And she wins a Grammy for it. Two years later, she releases Whitney. Her second album, two years later, just called Whitney. By then, she just needed one name, Whitney. That tells you how big she was. I was like, she self-titled it again. Yeah. Well, it was Whitney Houston and now she's Whitney. I know. My God. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, right? <laughs> so she's super, super famous. But with fame comes a lot of scrutiny. Can I just say, Wendy Williams is here from like an archival Fuck moment. Fuck her. And Wendy Williams goes, she appealed to black, white, and everyone in between. Everyone loved her. And I was like, wait a second. Are we going to talk about the world famous Wendy Williams, Whitney Houston phone interview? Yes. I didn't think we were going to talk oh, about we it. Get but we get into it gonna talk about it. Shut Holy up, Wendy shit. Williams. Shut <laughs> up. How was that helpful? I'll save it for I know. when we get there. I, I, uh, <laughs> I just, I, like, how it, that, that is. The uh is always my favorite. I just love it so that's much. That's the same as, like, no one wants to stop the money train, so uh-huh. we'll enable Whitney Houston. Like, Wendy Williams is using her in this moment. We'll yeah, get to it. We'll get 100%. to it. 100%. Robin Crawford's here. Okay. We only talk about Robin Crawford here for a minute, and I am a bad gay. I don't know as much about this as I should. Okay. So she is introduced here as Whitney's, quote, personal assistant. They met, you know, when they were teenagers and had a very big impact on her life. But we just sort of breeze by the fact that everyone thought that they were together in some kind of sexual relationship. Yeah. And Whitney is, like, being forced to answer for that. So she goes on, like, Diane Sawyer or something, and she's like, I'm not not gay and I'm not lesbian. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. Lesbian and gay, I'm not. Two titles I can't claim. I'm sorry. I just can't, you know? I'm a wife and a mother and a daughter. And I'm like, Whitney, you can be all of those things. I know. And you know it. You know, this is where I'm going to say, I saw a TikTok recently of Sissy Houston, years after Whitney's death. Like her recently, her mother saying, like Oprah said, like, would you have accepted her if she was gay? She said, no. Fuck that. Sissy fucking Houston. just And Oprah was shocked by it. Really? What well, did Oprah say back? I don't remember the exact exchange. But Oprah was like, really? Oprah, like, the it, Merv Griffin of her time. <laughs> no. No, Oprah did her No, I was really, I was shocked to hear Sissy Houston say that out loud. Right. You know what I mean? Now, imagine Whitney. Yeah. 
knowing that her mom of would course. not talk to her. And then also she's the most famous person in the world yeah. and she's getting scrutiny about everything to begin with. And it's the fucking 80s. Even my mother wasn't out yet. Right. <laughs> you know right. What I mean? But the thing is, they were together. Yes. So Robin. Tell me what you know because I don't know the definitive oh, answer is, here. So Robin wrote a book and okay. like she recently went on a lot of interviews. There's like a really great Sirius XM interview with her that I watched today where like all of this information is coming from and she's yeah. doing like a press tour for her book. And they did have a very, very, very deep friendship that it was professional and sometimes it was sexual and sometimes it was romantic and sometimes they were just friends. They were in each other's lives. I had one of those. Yeah, since they were teenagers, <laughs> like 16, yeah. 17 years old. Oh my God, this is like mirroring my They life. had a lot of love for each yeah. other and they just would sort of, it dep- I, They when you know each other for so long, uh-huh. sometimes they were sexual, sometimes they weren't, sometimes she was just the assistant, sometimes, I don't, you know, I don't mean just the assistant. I don't mean, yeah. But sometimes on trips, it would be like just a business trip yeah. or sometimes it wouldn't be. Yeah. And they made an active choice to hide, I guess like I'll call it like their non-platonic feelings, uh-huh. whatever that was, because Whitney thought it would destroy her. And she, Robin, and, and she was right. And she was right. And yeah. Robin said in an interview specifically, because I think they asked her like, so like, was she gay? Are you gay? And she's like, we didn't talk about labels. Like, uh-huh. so I don't know if she was like bi or pan or get or what it was, yeah. but like they just loved each other. And sometimes it got sexy and then they felt that they had to hide it from the world. I was going to say as long as everyone was happy, but like it's you, like, what are you going to do? Like, but it would have destroyed her. It, it would have absolutely have ended her career. And so Don Lemon. Super gay Don Lemon. Says. Who knows? But guess what? Who really cares? I don't really care if Whitney Houston was gay, straight, bisexual, whatever. I just care that she could sing her ass off. I don't care as long as she could sing her ass off. And I know what he's trying to say because I used to say that. So this is where I correct people now. Because right. when people, when somebody says, I don't care if they're gay. No, no, no. Ugh. You got to care. Right. You got to care. Because, and I realized that I used to, when I used to say that, I didn't mean that I don't care. Right. So when Even you- Even it doesn't bother me or I'm not- it, Or I, I support them anyway. Exactly. Or like her being whatever she was, because yep. I'm not going to put a label on it if she didn't, has no effect on her talent or how her music affects me as a person. Yes. And how her art changed the world. Yes. Like that shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. But to say you don't care. And I know that. Yeah. Because it's not what it, what you mean, but you can't, don't say you don't care. Right. I mean, it's actually like, it offends me when someone's like, I don't care if they're gay. No, you have to care. Because it sounds dismissive. Exactly. But what the person is trying to say is that they support them, but it comes out wrong. It comes out wrong. You know? I never, most of the people are trying to do the best they can. So you get a pass. But I'm just saying, (laughs) if you're one of those people who's like, I don't care that they're gay. No, say it differently. Say it differently. Say like, I support them. You know what I mean? Like, think about how you want to say that the next time it comes up and have that in the chamber. Right. Anyway, Whitney Houston was on top of the world. They say, undeniably, the 80s belonged to Whitney Houston. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But then she gets booed at the Soul Train Awards. Some critics were saying she didn't sound black enough. She had given away her um, roots. It's horrible. It's kind of funny. You go, are they booing me? (laughs) And they say, yeah. You go, oh, how nice. You know, you're not black enough for them. You know, Um, I don't know. You're not R&B enough. Um, you're very, very pop. The white audience have taken you away from them. The white audience was taking her away from the black audience. They were calling her like Whitey Houston and not uh-huh. Whitney Houston. And so like this was devastating to her because she's like, this is my family. This is my life. This is how I grew up. I grew up singing gospel music. Yes. Like she just felt so betrayed by her fans. Can you imagine you're like on top of the world and like you're like at the Soul Train Awards and you get booed? It's, I, I can't imagine, you know, right. and she's in an interview and she laughs it off kind right. of, but they say that she was like profoundly hurt by that. And how could she not be? Of course. So that's 
1989. And what else happens in 1989? Same night. The same night. The same, the, night. The same award show at the, at the Soul Train Awards, she meets Bobby Brown. And this story is odd. Yes. Uh, at least how we're hearing it. I don't uh-huh. know the truth. I wasn't there. What if you had been at the Soul Train Awards in 1989? Your parents dropped you off there right after taking you to see Madonna's blonde ambition to her. <laughs> hey, Julie, we're going to drop you off at the Soul Train Awards. You can walk home. <laughs> and then I witnessed the Bobby Brown Whitney meet cute, which is not, I don't think, cute. No. So the, here's what we hear again. I don't know. If you're going to yell at me, then you better have been there. Okay. So <laughs> Heather Locklear <laughs> yells at you. Heather, calm down. <laughs> She's the one who, like, Jenny Garth. <laughs> it was so weird seeing Heather Locklear, like, introduce Whitney's category. I was like, Heather, what are you doing there? Right. So Whitney apparently starts flirting with Bobby Brown. They're at different tables. Yes. So she apparently starts, quote, punching and hitting the back of his head. Okay. He turns around and, and and could she have been like, oh, hey, like trying to get his attention. That's probably closer to what happened. Uh-huh. But he turns around and basically demands that she stop doing that. And like gives her a look of like, don't you do that again. She's the biggest star in the world. And she was impressed that he wasn't impressed that it was Whitney Houston trying to flirt with him. Yes. Yikes. But they also say, somebody says, you know, if you look at her trajectory, you can chart her fall directly to her meeting and falling in love with Bobby Brown. You can chart her fall directly to her meeting and falling in love with Bobby I mean, this Brown. was a mess. This yes. was a complete fucking yes. documented, abusive, yeah. horrible relationship. I don't, like, I-, I wish I knew more about it because they, like, it just seems like one of those relationships, like, when it's good, it's really good, and when it's bad, it's really bad. Yeah, that means it's not good. Yeah. I'm sorry. I agree. Like, it's just, that's not healthy to yeah. be the super high highs and the super low lows. But the thing about a life like that is when you are that rich and that famous, you are surrounded by people who are only going to tell you what you want to hear. Right. You know? So Kirk, the saxophone player yes. and, and friend and musician, says we were incredulous. We saw Bobby Brown as a distraction. So the minute he came onto the scene, the people closest to Whitney were like, oh, come on. I know. They saw it coming from a mile away. But you know what, though? Like, all I'm saying is that, like, I can see from her perspective how, like, she has a person who she feels like is an equal. She's just been working, working, working. You know what I mean? Right. And like finally she's with a person that she can like let her hair down with a little bit or whatever. But also getting married would shut everyone up about those gay rumors. And that's the biggest thing. So not, yes, he was super famous, my prerogative, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it kind of would have been pretty great if they she could just get married and put those rumors to end already. Yeah. So 1992 is a huge year for Whitney because she gets married to Bobby Brown, but shut up about that. The bodyguard comes out. I know. Which means that I Will Always Love You came out. I mean, it's just the height of everything. Like, I Will Always Love You was number one on the charts for 14 weeks. Jesus Christ. I mean, that song was, it's still everywhere. Yeah. You still, like, we took a six-hour car trip the other day. I think I heard that song twice. Right, sure. You know what I mean? Can I tell you my fun fact about I Will Always Love You? Dolly Parton wrote that and Jolene in the same day. I know. Oh, I know. That's I know. like every time it comes up, I'm like, can I tell you my fun fact? And uh-huh. everyone's like, I've heard it a thousand times. Yeah. But <laughs> one time Dolly said that she did that. And then recently she tried to backtrack a little and she said, and I quote, well, I don't know if they were written on the same night. When we found the old tape, they were on the same cassette. So maybe it was a few days apart. To which I say, Dolly, I, do not sell yourself short. I, I don't care if it was a week apart. And Jolene and I will always love you. Did you write those songs in the same lifetime, like, Dolly? You shut, nailed it. Shut up. Shut your beautiful, perfect I, mouth. You must be protected. No. Don't do that. Because if I did that about something that I did, Dolly, you know, she know. would say to me, don't you do that. You know what I wish? I wish she had also written Fancy. I love that song. <laughs> I love that song. Fancy. You give her an inch and you'll take 10 miles. 
Do you know who she loves- wrote? I, I will always love you and Jolene in the same lifespan. And you say, you know what else I wish she could have done? I, I, she's I know. she's well, like putting kids through school and building. Like she's fine. Number one, she's I will amazing. tell you this: she wrote "I Will Always Love You" for a fucking musical, National Treasure. That was in the best little whorehouse oh, returns Texas. or whatever. It's the sequel. Oh, the se- <laughs> returns. <I think. laughs> and we're we're going back to the best little whorehouse. The best little whorehouse is so great. We're going back to. Can it. I just tell you one more thing while we're here on yeah. Reba? Because we're talking about Reba because she wrote "Fancy." Do you know who is Reba McIntyre's biggest fan? Wait. You do know. Natalie. Natalie Grillo. Yes, I knew that. Natalie Grillo got into, so how do I even say that? Natalie just like recently posted a picture of her with Reba, right? Our friend Lee, who is a wonderful, amazing, accomplished person in her own right, but also happens to be the mother of Ian Armitage. Who's young Sheldon. Who's young Sheldon. Or Ziggy from Big Little Lies. Ziggy from Big Little Lies. And also like Daisy's best friend. So she's friends with all of us. And so they know Reba. So when Reba was doing a concert in New York, Lee reached out to Natalie. He was like, you want to come and like sit in the box with us? Reba's imagine? boyfriend. And so, like, Natalie got to go to, like, Reba's party and hang out with like, Reba. Like, as a friend of Reba's. Yeah, as a friend of Reba's. Exactly. She should put that on a resume. Not like she's ever leaving this job because we no, love her so much. we love her. But she should put that, like, in her Twitter bio. Natalie Grillo, I'm obsessed. So the bodyguard was huge for many reasons. But one of them was that this was an interracial relationship on screen. And it was like, this movie was compared to Casablanca. It cannot be overstated what a big deal that is. Huge. And I forget... I forget because I was like, I don't know, I was in eighth grade or ninth grade, whatever, when this movie came out. And it didn't like matter to me. And it was like, oh my God, Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. And it's like, a, it's a romance movie. Exactly. You know? But like objectively, and especially to a lot of the black people in this documentary, they're like, no, this was groundbreaking. It was groundbreaking in the sense that you had an African-American woman and a white man. Why is I Will Always Love You a number one song for 14 weeks in a row? Because it's on the soundtrack of a movie about a failed romance between a white guy and a black woman at a time of racial division in the United States, at a time when we can't all just get along. And the movie was so loved. And the, yes. because the ending, I mean, is it a spoiler? Because the movie's this long. Like, they don't end up together. Is that right? I don't remember. He, they realize, like, we loved each other Why don't you for tell what, what happened was? to the crying game, too, Jillian? Just ruin all the oh, movies shut from the up. <laughs> But just like Casablanca, which I'm sorry, you should all have seen that already. But that's why it was compared to that. Because it was like this great love story. And then they realized, like, I have to let her go. I have to let him go. They just, Uh their worlds wouldn't work together. Uh So it would, because, like, then, like, imagine being compared to Casablanca. I know. Like, that's huge. I know. And it was, to see Whitney talking about it, being like, I was so nervous on the first day of shooting. Right. You know? And that movie is, it's just iconic. And also, not not that long after Kevin Costner called Madonna's show neat. So, like, just when you think Whitney can't get any bigger and more yeah. successful, like, you know, like, her, she's winning Grammys, she's breaking boundaries, she's doing the fucking bodyguard, right? Yeah. And now Kirk, her friend and musician, is now, like, that he tells us about the sax solo. He's like, that's actually me. Yeah. And so Whitney would say to her, like, incredibly talented musicians, you know, when you get other gigs, like, if you want to use my name, if you think it'll help, fine, but it's not always going to help. Yeah, and that's because right now the drug rumors are starting. Right. And we learn, apparently, her brother Michael was on Oprah in the 90s. Did you introduce her to drugs? I would say, yeah, it's painful, you know? I feel responsible for it. I let it go so far, and it just got out of hand. 
he gave her cocaine on her 16th birthday. Oh. So he, like, admits that he was, he introduced her to drugs. They sort of say that, like, Whitney Houston just has the kind of personality that when she, like, found drugs, it became something that she did a lot very quickly. Sure. And I honestly think that I have that similar personality, which is why I've never tried cocaine or anything like that, because I think I would really like it, and I would probably never look back. God help us. You don't need it, by the way. I know. And, And thank God, if I ever did it, like, who knows what would happen. God, please don't ever do it. Cocaine's the fucking worst. I won't, but, like, they say that the Bobby relationship really didn't help things because he was like that, too. And it just seemed that the way they described them in this documentary, and I really don't know a lot about their relationship, but, like, they were just fire together at all times. Codependent is the word that they use. Yes. So they were doing drugs together. They were codependent and they were combustible together. Yeah. I mean, that tracks. That's that's not an uncommon tale in situations like this, right? So their relationship is described as codependent. And then they have a baby and her name is Bobby Christina. And they say, so this happens in 1993. This documentary gives us no dates. I Googled dates for everything. I know, I know. So it's a year after The Bodyguard, 1993, when Bobby Christina is born. Whitney as a mother, that was the number one thing in her life. She loved being Bobby Chris's mother. She loved that baby with her whole heart. And as a mother, she wanted to protect her and give her the best that she could possibly do. She's checked every box. She's done everything. She wanted to be a mother, and finally she was. And now, I have to tell you something. Bobby Christina died in almost the exact same way that Whitney did. I mean, also, like, they just jump right fucking to that. And guess what? They don't talk about it, but we will because it's on the calendar. There's a there's an episode about Bobby Christina's death. Oh, okay, good. I'm... So, it's coming up soon. It's not next week, but it's in, like, a, f- it's in like a, a week. Uh, it's in, like, two or three weeks. She died. So, Bobby Christina, I, I looked this up. She died from a combination of drowning and drug intoxication on July 26, 2015. She was found in a bathtub like her mother. Like, oh my God. It's it's fucking, it's so heartbreaking. And they say that like, you know, because we get like five minutes of Whitney on talk shows talking about being a mother and you stop living for yourself and you live for your kid and it's all I care about. And somebody says, if Whitney knew then that she was going to die young and then that her daughter was going to die even younger and in exactly the same way. And her daughter had like a very tumultuous relationship at the time too. Like the parallels are are heartbreaking and frightening. So we will get into that in in a few weeks. It's just so crazy what we do to the these people, like these artists, like that they are surrounded by people who won't say no to them. And and because like they get to a point where they wouldn't tolerate no, it's not, you know, and it's like it's a mess. Like yeah. no one can win. And again, you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped, but then they're so famous that like the bartender's not gonna cut them off. Or like, you know, there's she's so she's too powerful. In 1996, she makes the movie The Preacher's Wife. Which is what was also a major hit, but Whitney is saying, like, she's very open about what she's doing because she says like she was doing drugs every single day. Why while yeah. she was filming that movie. They say she's already in a free fall. So now we jump to March 2000. Yeah. And Whitney was supposed to perform at the Oscars. More details are emerging about Whitney Houston's absence from the Oscars. The Academy says that the decision to drop her from a musical segment was reached by the show's producers, musical directors, Burt Bacharach and Don Was, and Houston herself. She was part of the decision for her not to do the performance. And so that's when, you know, her friends Kirk, the musician, and people are saying, like, when the drug use is preventing you from doing something that's a major part of your career, yeah. that is when you know it's really, really a problem. Well, and we jump, like, right around the same time was the Michael Jackson 
Jackson 30th anniversary performance. I don't really know exactly what that is, but she was performing at it. And Don Lemon is scandalized. <laughs> but then we see the images of Whitney Houston and she looks, I mean, she just looks, I don't know what to say. Sick. Her, she, she looks, looks unwell. Her, she's so, so skinny. You can see all of her bones. Yeah. And it was a performance on par with, just for like the the younger people, Britney's Gimme More performance at the VMAs. That oh. was super fucking tragic. Oh, and is that right? It was just the same level. Britney, it just felt like she was she was marking it and it just, she was not well. And she, like Britney, like the performer that yeah. she is. And she was like asleep during, you know, she was just, she looked like a zombie. And it was like, people were making fun of her. And I'm like, she's in trouble. Uh-huh. Like this is sad and scary. And it was that level of like, when you're on this like big 30 year tribute or whatever, well, people are going to notice. And when you're that skinny, you just look sick. Like it's yeah. very clear. And she was wearing a, like a small skimpy dress. So you can just really see all of the contours of her body and one of her friends her hairstylist is here to say I took her into the bathroom after that performance and said like if you don't stop whatever you're doing you're going to die right and she like burst into tears and said I know right Right. So now it's 2002 and Whitney goes on Diane Sawyer. December 4th. December 4th. Don Lemon is here again. He's scandalized once more. He just goes, Whitney, 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 Whitney. What was the latest thing that Don Lemon did? He got fired from CNN for making ageist comments against women. Oh, God. I know. Thanks it's a like lot. fucking, even the gays. You know, you know, he was like not great to Lori when Damien and Lori went on. Oh, really? He seems like kind of a fucking prick. He did. He said some horrible like, oh, so you're like one of those women who like writes to prison people in <gasps> prison like some I remember I watched it live and we were like texting oh my god hashtag not all gays I swear some of us are great and Lori of course handled it beautifully of course Um, but still like stop it but she so she goes on and all of her friends are like she was high during that interview but I mean this is the one where she's saying to Diane Sawyer first of all let's get one thing straight crack is cheap I make too much money to ever smoke crack let's get that straight okay we don't do crack we don't do that Crack is whack. I'm too rich to do crack. I'm too rich to do crack. That, her words. And then she says, crack is whack. It's only cringy because, like, she's a person we all love and admire and right. care about so much, and she's clearly struggling. And she's high. So, yeah. And while yeah. she's saying, I used to do drugs, but that's all under control now, and I'm not doing it anymore. And you can see on her face, like, that's not Whitney. Right. She's not there anymore. Yeah, and she definitely has that kind of attitude that, like, it just feels like she's in pain. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, like, there were enablers all around her. Of course. But if she is going to go, like, she doesn't want the help right now. Right. And there's only so much there's you, nothing can you can do. And when you're rich and powerful, like Whitney Houston undeniably was, yep. what do you do? There's, you can't do anything. Unless you you get off the money train and you walk away. Well, and I think the <laughs> other thing that you don't do is call into the Wendy Williams show. Okay, so. <laughs> oh, here we go. Whitney goes on the Wendy Williams show back when it was a radio show. So Wendy Williams, I think the tea on this is that Wendy Williams was like, quote, speculating wildly about Whitney Houston all the time and the drug use and just really- She's talking a lot of shit. Talking a lot of shit, yes. So it was a debacle to say the least. I mean, this is like legendary. They get in a massive fight on the air. Because Wendy is asking her about her drug use. And Wendy's like, who are you talking to? Like, are you talking to me? Yes. And Wendy's like, yeah, I am. And so they get in this massive fight. And it's like, Wendy, what is the point of this? I mean, the point is that we're still talking about it tw- literally 20 years and later. And she wanted the ratings. Of course. She wanted, like, every, like, calling people, like, turn on Wendy Williams because she's fighting with Whitney Houston. Exactly. But, like, and that, it was a shitty thing to do. Yeah. It was not helpful. And, Wendy, honestly, like, you come out looking like the asshole, too. She definitely does. And it's also just, like, who on Whitney's team was like, you know what? This is a good idea for you. Why don't you go ahead and make that call? It doesn't matter. Yeah. She was going to do it anyway. Uh-huh. Like, 
no one tells Whitney Houston what to do. Uh huh. And it's like, like, why, like, why, like it's, Whitney says, like, I hear you talking about me every day, and it's like, right. why are you listening? It's like, like how many times have I had to say to everybody in my life, don't read the iTunes review? Oh God, you know I can't I mean? remember the last time I. Read I know. Them. I only do it when I get like drunk and it's a Saturday night and Steve's already gone to bed. I'm like, let me see what people are saying. You learn that very early. You have to to stay away. Yes. Go write us a good review if you love us. Go write us a good review. <laughs> So it's March 2004, and Whitney starts going to rehab. So Whitney went into rehab three times, and each time she didn't stick around all that long, instead choosing to leave and go into outpatient therapy. She probably negotiated a way to, to an outpatient program, which as caretakers we're often stuck doing because patients are, we can't hold them against their will. She should have been in treatment for six months, period. Dr. Drew is here to just say, like, we can't hold people against their will. And he says she should have been in treatment for six months straight, right. period. No visitors, no contact. I mean, maybe she would still be with us if that had happened, but you like, know? And then I'm just thinking, like, people shouldn't be this famous. I know. Like, it's not good for you no. to be this famous and be so, like, she was so scrutinized. And this was before the internet. Yeah. But, I mean, not before the internet. But, like, it, it was a different world than it is today. Like, things are happening in real time online now. Yeah. Like, you can follow things happen in real time. And so, just imagine back then what it was like. Like, it's so hard like, I can't imagine what and, it would be like you now. Know, and the tricks that addiction plays on your brain. Like, you check yourself into rehab today because you want to quit and you want to get sober. And then you wake up tomorrow morning and your body is right. literally playing tricks on you. And you feel like you don't want to get clean and sober anymore. So you check yourself out because you're Whitney Houston. And then since the right since the 80s, everyone's been telling you how great you are, which she is. Yes. And no one's been saying no to her, which they should have been. But and it's so like, like, how many times do we have to learn this lesson? Like, River Phoenix, know. Kurt Cobain, Whitney Houston. I know. We see this all the time. I know. And, like, to the fucking assholes around these people who are the yes people because they want the money, play the long game. I know. The longer she stays alive, the more money you're going to get in the long run. If we have to think about it that way, can we trick these assholes into playing the long game? Right, even in the most cynical way. Yes. Yeah, keeping her alive is good for everybody. It's good for everybody. Like, her especially. And Humanity, especially the her world. Her fucking kid. Like, yeah. her child, you know? So this is all happening. Like, this is so not healthy. She's tormented. Like, she's, yes. she's like she needs help. Bobby Brown makes a deal for a reality show. And this is so wild to me. It's called Being Bobby Brown. I remember this. I cannot for the life of me understand why she agreed to this. So it was a show about them, but it was his name. Yes. But they were married. And it was kind of like she like wasn't contracted to be in every episode. Like It was just kind of like she'd be there when she was there. It's the only reason anybody made the show. Obviously. Bobby Brown's not getting a reality show about his life. No. But this, I know that this is like the time where these were all the rage and all the celebrities yes. were doing it. But this one in particular, feels really sad and weird. Like, we shouldn't be watching it. Like, I it's mean, too much of a glimpse into behind the curtain. And and the drug use. I mean, like, that. Yeah. Like that's what you, you feel like you're seeing it in real time. She's at, like, a Marshalls shopping for jewelry like she's me. We're seeing it, like, we're seeing everything but the actual doing of the drugs. Uh-huh. But then she'll, like, come out of a bath. It's just, like, it's she's so like scary She's, like, stomping her way through the mall screaming she's hungry like Daisy. It's just, oh, God. I know. It's just, and it's so uncomfortable. It's like, we who who okayed this? Well, and it, I think the thing that it's just, like, what's so sad, A, we know how it's going to end. And B, it's like, oh, God, you were the goat. You know what I mean? Yeah. You were the greatest. You were the, like you said, you just shouldn't be this famous. I think the bottom line <laughs> is when somebody becomes that famous, there's only one way it can end. God. You know what I mean? At least that's how it used to be. Maybe it's not so much like that anymore. I, I have to believe that it's I not know. like that anymore. But you know what? Now we learn that, like, guess what? Their marriage isn't great. It was a long 
union, but it was a very uh, tumultuous one. There were so many incidents of drug abuse, of uh, erratic behavior, uh, arrests. The ups and the downs, and I remember this moment, like when he was in prison for something and he gets out and there's Whitney running and like jumping into his arms. Yeah. They loved each good. other, but it, it wasn't a good marriage. It's not good. So finally, they divorced in 2007 after 15 years of marriage. Guess who's thrilled? Don Lemon Don is Lemon. thrilled. He is thrilled. He says she can get her image back, get her voice back, and America loves the comeback story, baby. Well, now Gary, her vocal coach, is here, and he's like, Don Lemon, can we sit down for a second? Hold <laughs> on. Because he was shocked at how Whitney wasn't taking care of her voice. Her voice, that it's, is her I voice. I know. And he said she destroyed her voice. She had no voice left. Even like when she speaks, you uh-huh. can tell how damaged her, her voice is. She goes on Good Morning America to to, like do a concert now they play maybe 30 seconds of it in the episode i went and watched the whole thing oh no it is it is so sad oh, she cannot she's got like a two or three note range she tries to belt at one point it i mean and you can tell that she can tell it's not going i mean well. how she it's, has to right i mean and the thing is it's like when like liza gets up to sing now no one expects it to sound good you just love being in the same room with her and she likes sing talks <laughs> Exactly. She's not like, like that's what Whitney was doing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they say like she didn't have the self awareness to watch that moment and be like, "I need more time." She launches a world tour. Yeah, she just needs to take care of herself. And and I understand what it must feel like to be like everyone's watching me. I have to prove I can do it. Like yeah. everyone's been talking shit about me for twenty years. Like my fifteen year marriage to Bobby Brown. Like she wants to prove everybody wrong, but she's not taking care of herself. No, and she's definitely still doing drugs. And this is where we get the whole thing about her inner circle. And like even like everyone we've met in the documentary, like her saxophone player, her hairstylist, her vocal coach, all of them are like Whitney's inner circle was not uh, was not any place that we ever got. Those of us who played with her, there was a, there was a wall that that was very meticulously built um, by the folks who who really were inside, and and that was to keep certain people out and to keep certain people in. We were intentionally kept out. I mean, that's what happens, right? They were isolated. And even Clive Davis, like Clive Davis says to one of her friends, what can I do for her? And this is where somebody says, Whitney eclipsed him. She was more famous than Clive Davis. He, even he couldn't get to her. Right. And Kirk, the sax player, says like there was a wall that really kept specifically people in and specifically people out. And Kirk was one of the ones that they kept out. I mean, obviously, right? Yeah. So it's February 2012 and it's the Clive Davis Grammy party. So we're back to where we started. We're back to the very beginning. And she gets to LA a few days before the Grammys for the Clive Davis party. And we're back to the bar. Apparently, she's at the bar at her hotel getting, quote, hammered and complaining that her drinks are watered down. She's picking fights with the bartenders. I I don't know what I would do. I would run, I would run for the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. If Whitney Houston got got mad at me at the bar, I don't know what I would do. Yeah, I, I don't, it's just, it's a mess and it's really sad. And then it's like, but I wasn't. I know. Like, I don't know. Or maybe they were as an attempt to try to, like, not say no to Whitney Houston, but make it, like, a single Vata, not a double. Like, I don't know oh, what. exactly. Like, I don't know. And then, like, the next day is this E! interview. This with, is very famous. Yeah, it's Clive Davis interviewing Brandy and Monica. I know. From, like, That Boy Is Mine. That Boy Is Mine. But, like, was that the 90s? Yes. Okay, so it was, like, a. Maybe they were, maybe it was some anniversary. I don't know. I was just happy to see okay. Brandy and Monica together. It was, like, Clive in the middle, Brandy on one side, Monica on the other. And so she interrupts them. She barges in. Whitney was trying to be playful and interrupt, but it was doing it in a way that made people think she was high. Come say hi to your godfather, okay? Come say hi to your goddad. It wasn't until I was close to her where I could smell alcohol, I could smell cigarettes, but it 
became very clear that obviously she was not completely 100% herself. She has no idea that it's even an interview. Like, Uh I think in her mind, I'm not making a joke. I just think that she's like, there are three people sitting here. Like, she has no idea that it's a set and the lights are there. And, like, her hair is wet. Her clothes are wet. It feels like she just got out of the pool Uh from being in her clothes in some way. And you can see the look on Clive Davis's face. Even Brandy and Monica, who probably, like, to them, Whitney Houston is, like, a legendary goddess. They wouldn't be here without her. Exactly. And, like, even everyone looks so uncomfortable except for Whitney. Whitney, who's grabbing Bobby Christina's hand and saying, go say hi to your godfather. It's a mess. And everyone's like, the cameras are on. No one wants to react. Like, everyone's trying to be very careful here. And they say that it felt like she was trying to be playful, like, playfully interrupt, but it wasn't working. And they're saying she was definitely high. She was just, like, her hair was wet, her clothes are wet. Then the next night, because remember, this is, like, February 9th, a few days before the Grammys. Yeah. The next night, she picks a fight with someone from the X Factor. She goes to a party for a person named Kelly Price, who they say, like, we're supposed to know who that is. From the X Factor, I guess. No, Kelly Price is, like, the person... Person, and then there's a person from the X Factor in oh. the audience. And apparently Whitney Houston picks a fight with this X Factor person to the point where, like, she's bloodied and beaten up. Because she thinks that the X Factor was hitting on her date. Can you imagine being the contestant from the X Factor? You're who Leona again, Lewis. Who, again, is only here because of Whitney Houston, I'm sure. And you're throwing punches at Whitney Houston to the point where she's bleeding. We see pictures of Whitney Houston with blood on her legs yeah, as I, she's leaving the club. I think punches were coming from all directions oh here. Oh, my God. It's a melee. It's a melee. All hell broke loose. I'm saying it was Leona Lewis. Okay, great. (laughs) I'm saying that's who it was. So now it's February 11th, the day before the Grammys, 2012, and her personal assistant finds her in the tub. Yeah, she's the one who finds the body. Whitney's face down, and again, the water is so, 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 so hot, 93.5 degrees, and she was there for an hour. So if the water had an hour to cool... I know. And it was still... Oh, God. God, I know. And it's 3.30 in the afternoon. And so the toxicology report comes back and there are just an insane amount of drugs in her This is when Dr. Drew says like she was severely, severely addicted to drugs. Anybody who reads the autopsy report will be able to tell you. Right. And he says like, here are some possibilities of what happened. Like a lot of these drugs were sedative. So there is an excellent chance that she wanted to take a bath and she knocked, she just fell asleep because of the drugs and she drowned that yeah. way and she was, you know. But it also could have been any mixture of the drugs that were in her system like reacting with each other. They, what what they're saying is that the police found a mixture of drugs. They found uh, numerous prescription medication. They found the spoon with a powder on it. She may have had a cardiac rhythm disturbance from the cocaine and sudden death. So we don't know really for sure exactly what killed her. We know for sure it's a substance death. It's actually not possible to pinpoint how she actually died. He said maybe her heart stopped from all the cocaine. Like, every possibility is is worse than the one before. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like, why was she alone? I know. And why was she alone for an hour? Like, everyone around her knows that she's in trouble. Even if, like, even if, again, the most cynical way, right? Yeah. You're going to be the one who brings her the drugs. Don't leave her alone. I know. She's so famous and she's so troubled. And she's it's been... It's like, where's the inner circle now? The people who, like, helped her get to this point, like, leaving her alone in a bathroom. This is after interrupting Clive Davis. This is after the bartender fight. This is after the fight with the X Factor person. And 
she's yeah. still being left alone yeah. in a state where we don't know what combination of drugs caused her death. I know. Like, who left her alone? And I just remember hearing it on the news. Like, it was such a shock. Like, oh my God. Wendy and Houston is... The but, night oh, before the Grammys? I know. And also not a shock. I think to a lot of people who were paying attention, like, people just kind of saw this coming. Right. And I guess, like, we were still... I mean, we were very deep in the tabloids that, like, every she was documented for those couple days leading up to it. She was getting in fights all the yeah. time. Yeah. You know? So it was the worst possible outcome. And then, of course, like, upon her death, all of her albums but one shoot back to the top of the charts. Right. Her greatest hits album sells a million copies in a week. Yeah. And like, and it ends with basically everyone saying that like, we're just going to remember her as a fantastic singer because yeah. her talent was singular. I yeah. mean, no one is like her and no one's perfect. God knows I'm not. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I'm no Whitney Houston in any, any sense of the, the term. Oh my God, girl, we did, what is it called? So it's the show, What Really Happened. And also like, don't name it that if you're not going to tell us. Uh That's number one. But it's the final days of Whitney Houston and this is on Discovery Plus. Oh my God, fam. Hey, listen, we just kicked off our tour at the Wilbur. It was an incredible show, I'm assuming. We haven't actually done it yet. We're the best, present, and future, (laughs) but it was great. It was great. It's going to be great. It's going to be so good. Up next, June 17th in Charlotte, then July 13th in Denver. See the rest of our dates at truecrimeobsessed.com. Can I also tell you that I'm going to be in Nashville with the Traveling Book Party on June 21st. There's only a handful of shows left to see me do the book party before the book comes out in September. So come see me, patrickfails.com. Go bring your bachelorette party. Nashville's a major bachelorette party Oh my God, if you have a bachelorette party that week, bring them. I will will make it, I will wear a penis hat. I will do whatever you want. Nice little sash. It's a major bachelorette town. I love that. It's one of the only places I've ever been where you see them. They have the bikes outside. It's like a traveling bar. call them the woo girl. Remember when we were there? I was like, what is that noise? I was just like, woo! And I was like, what is that? And then they were like, and I was like, look, woo it up, have fun. I'm just saying, I was told that's the But remember, like, you have to pedal the bar? Like, you're on a bike. I think it's it's mostly like, I don't think they. Well, someone is driving it because you're hammered. So someone's at the front of it, and then there are like four seats on either side. And I think you're just pedaling. We should do that sometime when we're in Nashville. Okay. Fun. Girl, what are we doing next? Okay, we are doing Debunking the Myth of Patient Zero, the AIDS <gasps> Super Spreader. And this is a documentary that's on YouTube. So we are doing this for Pride, fam. This is a story that's kind of close to my heart. His name is Gaetan Duga. Mm-hmm. He was a Canadian flight attendant, and he was blamed by the great, great, great journalist and author Randy Schultz of being like Patient Zero and being the person who spread AIDS throughout North America. Uh-huh. It's not really true, and we're going to learn his story. And I'm so excited to share that documentary with yeah. everybody. It's on YouTube. You can... It's very readily available. All right. Well, stay tuned for the trailer for that and our funny and hilarious and ridiculous outtakes. Oh, God. And we love you. Okay, we love you. All right, bye. Bye. Patient Zero was a man, a central victim and victimizer. The most widespread part is the idea that this is the man who introduced AIDS to North America. I don't know whether he actually brought the epidemic to the country, but he certainly was the person who spread it from one end of the country to the other. There is just so much wrong about the concept of a patient zero. The second part is that not only did he cause the epidemic by being the first case, but he was somehow doing it deliberately, that he was trying to spread his infection far and wide across the United States and beyond. He reportedly crisscrossed North America feeding an enormous homosexual appetite with hundreds of liaisons. It's funny to say, Gaetan always used to say to me, one day I'll be a star. 
well, <laughs> he might be a star now, you know, like, he got, I mean, he was known, like people knew him, but I don't think that's what he meant when he said, one day, I'll be a star, darling, okay. I was just reading a thing about Ryan Reynolds that, like, he will come home in his costume from shooting that day because he cannot get off the set fast enough and home to his family fast enough. I mean, I love Ryan Reynolds, but the wardrobe people must fucking hate him. I know. Can I you know. just I know. have the t-shirt and I, jeans ready to go? I love that there's, like, a sign in the wardrobe department that's like, Ryan Reynolds just must let him be go. protected at all costs. Yeah, just let him go. Just let him go. I just love that he gets to hang out with Robin Lively, Blake's older sister, who was the star of The Worst Witch. Oh, yes. And you're not. And yep. if you want to hang top with me, that. I'll give it one shot. Top that. Top that. Top that. I don't really give up about trying to top that. Let's it's... get back to Whitney Houston. Okay. <laughs> From Whitney Houston to that. You know what? Let's top that. Let's top it. Why is God imbuing people with this kind of talent? You know what I mean? Yeah. If she was just a good singer, it'd be fine. This isn't going to happen to Pink. Hey. I love Pink. I love Pink. But my point is, is Pink not an excellent singer? She's an she excellent singer. Is she Whitney Houston level? Okay, that's my point. Everybody should be as talented as Pink. That should be the end of it. But I'm going to be very careful here. Can Whitney do it on a trephies? (laughs) You know that other thing? I don't think it's going to work out. The rumor is he was talking about the bodyguard. Shut up. That she was up for the bodyguard and that he wasn't going to hire And then she did Dick Tracy and all is right with the world. (laughs) Everyone did what they were supposed to do. Is this our gayest episode of all time? This might be our gayest episode. I feel like I ask you that every week. I fucking love Dick Tracy. It's such a good movie. 